Hello and welcome to episode 4 of the Trans Questioning Podcast. I'm your host for now. That name is becoming increasingly likely to change. So before getting to anything else, I just want to say I'm very glad that I started this podcast when I did because things are happening in very real time. So it is presently... 1.29 a.m. Tuesday, October 10th. Once again, I woke up in the middle of the night, couldn't sleep, decided to record, so I am once again in the kitchen, which is why my voice is low. When my roommates are asleep, my closet sounds like crap. The garage breathes, which is really creepy, so I'm back here. This seems to be the best option, which doesn't make sense to me, but Whatever, man. Here we are. So like I said in episode three, I recently came out to basically everybody that I know and have since been shopping for clothes and sort of looking for more ways to express femininity, which still kind of sounds funny to me to say out loud, but it's really bizarre to be in this position of like being accepted by all of the people that I know for the most part. And now like thinking about, okay, do I talk to my professors to sort of warn them about what's coming so that they'll be like, I don't know, defensive of me if shit goes down in the class, which I cannot imagine that it would, but whatever, man, it's 2017. America is not exactly following the rules. But I, I've been feeling really positive. Uh, today, I kind of waffled a lot on scheduling a time for laser hair removal. It, it kind of all comes down to the fact that I have to make a phone call, which really is just like the perfect way to get any millennial to not do anything. I uh, found like a group on for four sessions for like under $300 to do the whole face at a, at a place in town. I found out there's two places. Uh, one that seems like it might be nicer, but one that's also easier to get to. And I don't know, I'm torn about that and I haven't been able to find anybody to vouch for them. So there's that. I don't know how much I should trust a place that I don't know the reputation of and like the Yelp reviews and all of that stuff are very minimal. But I, I, I waffled on it, not because I don't want it, want, like want laser hair removal, but because... There's something about like calling them up and making this the time that's like, oh shit, this is this is for real now. This isn't a game anymore. Not that it ever really was, but I, but I think that's something that I'm gonna do this week. And if if I do, that's definitely going to be something that uh, will be updated either in this episode or in the next episode because I uh, it's increasingly more important to me that every stage of thought in this process is documented. I really wish that I had started this podcast even sooner because just in the last two months, like the cycles of my thoughts have been very different and very rapid. So just for today, I shared a, a comic on Facebook that I think Sarah Scribbles, yeah, 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 Sarah Anderson is the person who made the comic, and it's basically just people criticizing a girl for enjoying feminine things. So it's like, oh, flower crowns, and wow, why do you like pumpkin spice lattes, and you shouldn't wear leggings as pants, and the girl just eventually reacts like, oh, I just want to enjoy being alive. I'm so sorry. So I shared that and I share like, feminist comics and articles and stuff like that all the time. But as soon as I hit the share button, I had this thought like, has, has the context for me sharing this changed? Because this comic speaks to a very personal experience. And now the people that are reading it on my Facebook wall are like, aware of me being trans so they're seeing that and they're like oh is is this speaking to their own experience which I, it, i'm not like that's i have i've done very 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 little feminine expression in public so it, it's not coming from a, a personal place but it sort of has changed context a little bit and that's something interesting to think about where I don't want to seem like I'm suddenly like well guess what everybody I'm a trans woman and now I'm 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 on the bandwagon girl it's so annoying when guys do this am I right like I don't know I haven't experienced that and I do wonder where that line begins 
because as what a lot of what we're going to talk about today is the boundaries of trans womanhood. But I, I imagine the line is just where your actual personal experience begins. So I actually got a couple of comments on that that were like from f- friends of mine who were like personally encouraging where one person was like, well, you should wear as many flower crowns as you want. And I genuinely appreciate that sentiment, but it was sort of c- kind of backing up my initial doubt that the context of the things that I share on Facebook have changed, where instead of being somebody who cares about feminism, I am now a person speaking to their own experience somehow. Like that might be the perception. I don't know. It's very strange. That is something that I'm sure will come back to, uh, to, to bite me in the ass eventually, because this is life. So after coming out, one of my trans friends messaged me and was really happy for me and, you know, throwing support my way. We had a conversation about uh, uh, just various aspects of what follows after coming out and when when being trans is no longer so much a hypothetical. And one of the parts of that was pronouns. And she asked me, you know, so I assume it's uh, she, her. And my answer was that I don't really know yet. Uh, I don't feel like I've earned she, her yet. And that's how I felt at the time. And that's kind of how I still feel like, uh, I guess, part of my hesitance towards identifying as a woman and sort of taking on different pronouns is that I feel like you need to set, like reach certain standards before you're allowed to do that. That's how I felt at the time. That's sort of like an internally inconsistent emotion. But what she said to me in response It's the perfect lead into a lot of what we're going to talk about today, where she said, whatever you feel is right for you, you've earned. You absolutely 100% do not have to even start transitioning to be valid in your pronouns. Grow yourself a nice bushy girl beard if you want. You can still be she, her, or anything else, but it's also valid not to know yet. That to me was kind of exactly what I needed to hear because I hadn't yet realized the inconsistency in saying if if you feel you are you are a woman and that's what you are but for me personally i feel like i have to reach a certain standard before i'm allowed to be that uh that's bullshit that's kind of holding myself back and you know thinking about it now i'm realizing part of the process of becoming accepting of yourself as a trans person might involve taking on different pronouns before you feel like you've earned them because just that little bit of societal acceptance like that exterior signification of this new aspect of your identity can help you feel normal in in the process which is not does not feel like a normal process so any bit of normalcy really helps and you latch onto it and so coming out and having that conversation with this friend and you know, running through these thoughts really helped me hit that moment of euphoria that closed out last episode. And I've kind of just been living in that, like, I don't, I don't, I don't know exactly how to quantify what has changed, except that I'm just happier with the prospect of transitioning. I feel more accepting of this feminine aspect to myself, I feel more confident in saying that I am a trans woman. I guess I don't feel more confident in saying that, <laughs> at least not out loud. But I, I feel very more, much confident in uh, feeling that way. I said some. I had a Twitter rant at some point where I said uh, I think I very much like the idea of feminine pronouns, and that should be the signifier. Going back to the whole trust your gut thing that really sounds like that's along the same lines as like oh well taking hormones sounds like a great time to me well if taking estrogen when you're born assigned male is that correct what is it what is what is the what is the acronym assigned male at birth Jeez. if if the prospect of taking estrogen when you're assigned male at birth is good then probably you're trans or there's something gender queer about you <laughs> Uh, in the case of like, mm, I think I would like to be addressed as a woman. Like, that's probably a sign 
that there's something genderqueer about me. But no, I've got to take it objectively and analyze it like some kind of data point. Like maybe it's just my mind making up lies. <laughs> and you can you can hear in my voice probably that I find all of this sort of patently ridiculous now. And so it's at the point now where I legitimately feel like I'm probably going to be presenting as a woman, at least partially in public, by the end of the year, which is like terrifying to consider, but that's sort of where my, my head is at. And uh, today I went to Goodwill, shopped a bunch of clothes, and I just got to say Goodwill really is like the bottom of the barrel for fashion. And for women's clothes, it's kind of understandable because fashion moves very quickly and there's just all kinds of weird shit going on. And so I went there kind of hoping to buy a couple of things and I ended up buying, I think, like six or seven different shirts. And I also bought a new skirt online and I'm wearing one of these new shirts right now. And I eyeballed all of them and I didn't try any of them on and I fucking nailed every one except this weird sort of green thing that I'm not entirely sure how I'm supposed to wear because it looked like it was just a long sleeve shirt. But when I put it on, the the sleeves were inconceivably thin and it felt like I was wearing some sort of like Shakespearean thing. That to me seemed entirely out of my control. So I gave myself a pass on that. But all the other clothes I bought either fit now or will fit when I hit my target weight. I got this really gaudy, like, silver button-up shirt, and I saw it, and I immediately was like, I'm never going to wear this in public, but I have to have it, because it's just so beautifully trashy. We were watching K-pop videos of this super group, whose name I can't remember, who probably everybody who knows anything about K-pop knows them. And there was one guy who just always had the most fabulous, like blazers and shirts they were just always so sparkly and colorful and even though intellectually i was looking at them like oh that's really trashy i i had this just gut level affinity for it like fuck that's my aesthetic that's how i want to be <laughs> i i always really want to like jump into being like super extravagant and and eye-catching in a way that makes people uncomfortable which is not what it probably should be the case for somebody who is like socially awkward and afraid of interaction. But I don't know, man. I I like to I like to be weird. Weird is my thing. So this shirt, I'm super excited to to lose some more weight so I can actually like try it on for real in like an outfit and probably wear it in a fucking video. That'll be rad. But the only other thing is that I need to like get hats and stuff. Hats are going to be a big part of my fashion for a long time because I'm balding, which sucks. Which is why the timeline for transitioning for me is probably faster than it might otherwise be. Not that I'm uncomfortable with the timeline, but I need to do laser on my face before I can start hormones. And the sooner I start hormones the sooner I will hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, get my head back, <laughs> more or less. I've spent a lot of time reading uh, forum posts and Reddit posts about like uh, how, how does estrogen affect hair loss, and a lot of people say that it definitely can turn it around, and that would be great because hair is a huge part of pulling off a femme look. And I would like that very much. I like the idea of styling my hair. That's something I've never gotten really to do. I grew my hair out super long when I was in high school. And then it never really got long again after that. And I'm growing my hair out now. And just the way that my hair works, like the sides of my head, the hair starts to get really brittle, I think, and breaks off or something because it doesn't get much longer than a certain length. But then like the back of my head grows forever. And then the top of my head is just, you know, really thin, wispy hair. So you can see my scalp. Super not good. The hair's all there. None of it's broke. None, none of it's too thin to break through the skin yet. So there's still time. So all of this has been the backdrop for me to be reading Julia Serrano's Whipping Girl, which is my first trans text, and I'm using it as sort of a philosophical guide at this point. 
I guess I guess this isn't technically my first one. I also got Sarah Doffman Fox, I think is her name. You and Your Gender Identity is the title of the book, and it's a guidebook for working through questioning your gender identity. And that has been immensely helpful, but I think I got it maybe a month or two later than I should have. And and I like she just happened to announce uh, the second edition of the book right when I had the realization of coming out and started doing real research. So I pre-ordered it uh, and it came late September and have been working through it. But what I found is that I guess because I've already spent so much of my adult life, like questioning my sexuality and my identity in general, I'm already kind of primed for questioning my gender identity. So it's not as big of a challenge for me as it probably is for some people because I'm 28 years old. I'm kind of used to this shit at this point. So I'm not very far into Whipping Girl, but I wanted to read out one bit and then talk about some other bits. I've basically just gotten through all the preface material and then the first subchapter, which is just a trans woman manifesto. And this is the first paragraph of that. This manifesto calls for the end of the scapegoating, deriding, and dehumanizing of trans women everywhere. For the purposes of this manifesto, trans woman is defined as any person who was assigned a male sex at birth, but who identifies as and or lives as a woman. No qualifications should be placed on the term trans woman based on a person's ability to pass as female, her hormone level, or the state of her genitals. After all, it is downright sexist to reduce any woman, trans or otherwise, down to her mere body parts or to require her to live up to certain societally dictated ideals regarding appearance. So, kicking off the book with basically a shotgun blast to the front door and barging in just saying, fuck you, this is this is the truth. So I read that kind of parallel to everything else that I've talked about this episode, and it just felt extraordinarily apropos. In particular, just the, that distillation of it. It's downright sexist to reduce any woman down to her mere body parts. It's such a simple idea. But it's so hard to accept, like on paper, when when you're just talking about it as a, I guess, a, when I when I thought I was cis and I was talking about these same sorts of issues, I was coming at it from the perspective of like, yeah, of course, if if a if a if a trans woman says she's a woman, then she's a fucking woman, and that's all that there is to it. But when I go through this process, I'm like, well, gosh, am I, what am I trans enough? I don't know. Will the, will, the, will the gender police come to get me if if I'm not like feminine enough or if I if I if I don't have the right you know experiences I mean, of course that's bullshit and like I said earlier it's probably a huge part of the process to experiment with these things and accept them before you feel comfortable with them so that you do become comfortable with them but here's where it really sort of hit me in this uh, chapter so I want to read this last paragraph here. But it's not enough for us to empower femaleness and femininity. We must also stop pretending that there are essential differences between women and men. This begins with the acknowledgement that there are exceptions to every gender rule and stereotype, and this simply stated fact disproves all gender theories that purport that female and male are mutually exclusive categories. We must move away from pretending that women and men are opposite sexes because when we buy into that myth, it establishes a dangerous precedent. For if men are big, then women must be small. And if men are strong, then women must be weak. And if being butch is to make yourself rock solid, then being femme becomes allowing yourself to be malleable. And if being a man means taking control of your own situation, then being a woman becomes living up to other people's expectations. When we buy into the idea that female and male are opposites, it becomes impossible for us to empower women without either ridiculing men or pulling the rug out from under ourselves. Boy, that just gets right to the heart of it, doesn't it? Like, that's that's an incredible first chapter for this book i'm really excited to read the rest that's i mean that's really if you've been listening so far that's really what's been the cause of all of my stress is like the the uh the conflicts between masculinity and femininity god damn it i keep <clears throat> my voice is 
disappearing. I don't know what the deal is. Because for me as a trans person, it's not enough that I start presenting as a woman. Although as I've clearly expressed this episode, that's very much a goal for me. I don't, I don't want that to be the end of the road. I'm seeing more and more that the lines between masculinity and femininity are extraordinarily blurry. And it really does not do anybody any favors. Hmm. I honestly think it's just really funny that this this whole time I've been searching my thoughts and working on this podcast, and then I read the first like 12 pages of this book, and they express everything that I've said so far, pretty much. I think it speaks to the fact that this particular book has become kind of the foundational text for how we talk about trans issues these days, because the ideas present in this book have just become through cultural osmosis, like the norm. That's like the baseline. But I think it speaks to how different some trans people can be, because for me, the the, the question of my own personal gender experience was not terribly difficult. Like once I had that initial realization, it's fine. It's totally fine. I pretty much immediately was on board because I was kind of a desperate person in a desperate situation. And, you know, at that point I was willing to try anything. What gave me more pause was the uh, philosophical element of it. Sort of the question of the gender binary and how different we all are as, as people and the expectation that we somehow have to be homogenous holes, W-H-O-L-E-S, like wholly complete people who fit a very specific image of what it means to be a man or a woman or whatever. And you know, I keep thinking about the email that I read last episode about Laura Kate Dale, you know, you need to look more like a, a woman because you're making all the other trans women look bad. And yeah, man, everybody, everybody looks weird. Very, very, very few people fall into the center of that bell curve where they look like the ideal human being. And it's fucked up that I've wasted so much of my life obsessing over how I look in ways that I couldn't change or refuse to change because I wouldn't let myself consider the possibility of being transgender. And it's immensely terrible that women in this country and in Western civilization in general are forced to make themselves into objects to be consumed by men. And I've always had a pretty distinct awareness of that and felt kind of disgusted by it, but also enforced it in my own terrible ways because everybody's problematic. Everybody does terrible things. And it's it's scary to me, kind of going off in a different direction, the possibility of starting to present as a woman and then going out into the world and being objectified. I don't know how I'm going to react to that, and I know it's going to happen eventually. The uh, YouTuber ContraPoints, whose dysphoria video is a big part of the reason why it came out in the first place, she just recently did uh, commentary videos on a lot of her early stuff. And there was one in particular where she kind of started crying. And it was it was a video where before she acknowledged she was transgender, she was pouring milk all over herself in the bathtub, like naked and all of this like really theatrical stuff. And she started crying and elaborated that like because of transitioning and finally acknowledging how uncomfortable she is with her body, she has sort of lost the privilege of a male body and the ability to just sort of make a joke out of it. I think it's just very sad the way we wrinkle ourselves into these corners. And, you know, I'm, I'm scared a little bit of going forward. Um, I'm scared of the position I'm putting myself into because there is a level of inherent invisibility that I've enjoyed my entire life. I've been able to walk around at night safely and peacefully. I've been able to just sort of go places, walk around everywhere without having to worry about people looking at me or attacking me, even though I've always sort of felt like I stuck out like a sore thumb, even though that probably wasn't necessarily true. And there is, you know, I don't know to what degree my depression stems from being an, a closeted trans person, and I don't know to what degree transitioning will fix that. So going forward... 
I know right now I feel pretty good about my prospects and I know yeah, I'll start wearing different clothes and it'll be fine, it'll be great, whatever. But I know I'm going to start having bad days again where I just want to not be seen. And then what do I do then? Like, do I, is it acceptable for me to like wear my old clothes and go out? I mean, short answer is yes, it's totally fine. I guess I'm just struggling against this like absolutist identity versus finding this fluid center, which is seems to be more what the transgender movement used to be all about anyway, but it's challenging because we in the West, we like our yes or no answers. We like our clear, concise explanations of things, and reality just doesn't reflect that, and God, the truth is I just have to deal with it, huh? I just have to be whatever. Do the things that feel right. Trust your gut. Ugh. It is now 2.10 a.m. If you do the math, certain you will find that stuff has been edited out because I heavily edit these. So I am sure that by the before the end of the week or probably the next couple of days, I will have more to say about stuff. So I'll be back. But it's late. I got a long day today. I'm going to bed. Welcome back. I'm coming to you from the very far future of November 24th. I just want to wrap up that it's definitely a consideration when you're starting to consider transition or thinking about being transgender or however the process works out for you, that this world is not particularly kind to anybody who intentionally deviates from the norm and that's especially true when it comes to gender. I know for me, part of the the pressure, the, the, the desire to come out as soon as I did was because we're living in a time when there are people in power who want to stigmatize being transgender and want to make it, you know, politically inconvenient and personally dangerous, that sort of thing. And there are all kinds of very unfortunate statistics that I won't repeat here because this show is already depressing enough. I will say since recording this particular episode, I did a video uh, called, I think, Hello, I Hate My Body, something like that, in which it's basically me going over all of the reasons that I have have struggled with dysphoria basically my entire adult life. And I made that video at least in part because uh, YouTuber ContraPoints made a video that's uh, uh, gender dysphoria the movie. I think I've talked about it a couple of times on this show. And there is there is an interesting sort of thing about, you know, losing the, the privilege of a male body. And that's sort of been coming back to me more and more as I've started changing the way that I present myself in public. Today, so it's it's for, for me right now it's Thanksgiving weekend and uh, I decided that instead of trying to tiptoe around different foods and stay on my diet I was just gonna say screw it I'll get back on my diet whenever you know school starts back up so I've been enjoying myself the last couple of days eating lots of baked goods and uh, today I was indulging in one of my favorite terrible foods, which is fried chicken. So I went to this fried chicken place. There's an interesting moment where the server asked me what my name was for the order. And I said, <laughs> reflexively. Uh, and then I kind of paused and I thought like, wow, that doesn't feel right. Because the funny thing is I've been playing the new, an the, the, the mobile animal crossing game. And I put my name as Zara in that just because that's become my preferred, I guess, internet handle and sort of a, a a feminine name that I've been trying on. That was sort of like the first thing that I did was change my Twitter name to, to Zara on the suggestion of a friend of mine. And um, Animal Crossing has been weirdly pushing me forward in that respect, where just having different characters in this video game repeat my name back to me, <laughs> repeat the, the name Zara back to me. And calling me she and all these things has sort of been weirdly affirming and like i don't know it, it it's it's brought me a lot closer to the idea of of actually changing my name and previously 
I have a very strong like personal connection to my name and like the history of my name with my family. But there is a sort of thing like I'm I'm it's starting to change. It's a really strange sort of bizarre thing where your your mind starts kind of slowly tiptoeing even when you're not consciously doing it. Where now I've gotten used to the idea and it's become I, I guess my hesitation was always that it was like you know, it's a, it's a big thing to ask of other people and it's just kind of weird. And it's like, ah, I don't know if it's really going to make me feel any better or whatever. But then now that, now that this video game has made it feel like it's a possibility, it's sort of like, you know, I kind of, I kind of like, I kind of like this. this. I could get used to this, <laughs> which is, which is interesting. And so walking to this, this fried chicken place, you know, I had my, my nails painted green and I had my, my uh my my forearm warmers these they're basically sleeves that have thumb holes cut out and i love them and they're like the the fastest trip towards feeling feminine that i could possibly imagine and i don't really know why i think it's because partially uh viheart on youtube weirdly enough viheart and a lot of her friends that uh did lvr together they, they they have that sort of aesthetic of like uh sleeves that go on too long and they have holes for thumbs and they cover up like the hand up to where the fingers pop out and that's always been my aesthetic and it's always seemed like just really feminine to me so having those for myself has been this hugely like i almost feel naked without them now they're like a, a huge huge part of me but so walking around and sort of starting to 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 feel more feminine in my presentation and still very much passing as, as, as male. I don't know. It's, it's just a weird consideration. Like I imagine there are a lot of people who run up against that wall and think like, this isn't worth it. You know, that this world is too, too rough on people like me. And I don't even, I don't live in a, in like the greatest place. You know, I'm in Oklahoma. Um, there's, there's a pretty strong trans community here. I haven't, gotten into it that much but i know i know a lot of trans people around here but all of that is to say that even though it is it is a rough world for for trans people and people of color and trans people of color and you know the list goes on and on and on and on and on but that's entirely why in my mind we can't keep ourselves secret and we can't do what they would like us to do which is to shut up and pretend to be whatever normal is when the people in power want us to disappear through violence we can't make it easy for them and you know you're not doing yourself any favors by keeping yourself secret so it does suck to lose the autonomy of a male body but that's other people's problem i mean you're not going to change the world by yourself you can't really shift, you know, public perception of, of gender norms and everything. But what you can do is make the decision that's best for you and just live your life the way that you want to live it. And how people react, that's just telling you who deserves to be in your life. Anyway, this, this bit's gone on too long. I'll talk a little bit more on this stuff later. So I recorded this next bit on my phone late one night when I was sort of mulling over a lot of these same questions. And, um, well, I think you'll just find that I was feeling a little bit more negative at the time. So here's that, and I'll be back afterwards to uh, give some closing thoughts. So it is Tuesday, October 17th at 11.20 at night. I'm laying in bed and recording on my phone again. I want to get up and actually like record an episode, but I don't want to do that. <laughs> it's late. I have shit to do tomorrow. I need to sleep, but I can't sleep. And I'm just going to record this and hope that this gets my thoughts out of my brain. So now that I've come out to everybody, the sort of natural next step is, of course, to start wearing different clothes and presenting differently. And I've, I've made steps towards doing that. But, you know, back on the on the side of things, like feeling meh about the whole thing, which uh, I guess is, is pretty normal. This back and forth kind of indecisiveness. 
I'm trying to figure out, you know, when is the right time. I know I've fielded this question already a couple of times. But uh, I have this this thought, like, you know, our, our current president and his entire administration, they're all people who hate people like me who were elected on the grounds of being superior to people like me in the eyes of a small subsection of the population. If he had his druthers, he'd sooner see me dead, probably. I mean, that's that's prob that might be contentious to some people. I don't know. I don't think he would put a gun to my head, but I don't think he would lose a wink of sleep if uh, if somebody else did it. We're in an atmosphere of hatred of diversity, where the the dominant population, the presumed dominant population, the white, straight, heteronormative, cis-normative males are feeling suddenly very threatened by the increased dialogue from people like me, I guess, and people who've been doing this a lot, lot, lot longer than me, and people of color, queer people of color, everybody. The internet has enabled so many different types of voices, and they're all asking to be acknowledged as human beings, and there are some people who simply don't like to have to think about that. The uh, unpleasant reality of institutional racism and inherent racism, sexism, heteronormativity, patriarchy, all of these big, big academic words, you know, it's not fun to think about and doesn't necessarily make your life better because, you know, you end up like me, second-guessing every single thing you say and do, wondering, was that sexist? Was that racist? And the answer is it probably was, but that's, I mean, if the alternative is hurting people all the time, oh, fuck that. But I go back and forth on this thought, like, if if I'm, if I'm living in a world that actively hates the things that I love about myself, then I need to embrace them and demonstrate them and be that shamelessly. And then there's the other part of me that's just terrified of what might happen as a result. Like, I don't, I don't picture myself as, as being, like, prime material for being, I don't know, having violence acted upon me. But it happens, and nobody expects it to happen, and things have gotten better, but they're still not great, and our president certainly likes to make it seem like people can get away with this shit, get away with being monstrous. I don't know. To what degree am I obligated to speak out and be loud and use the privilege that I have to create a better platform for other people? And to what degree do I forego that privilege in favor of my own safety and sanity? This probably all just sounds like grandstanding. I don't think any of it matters. I don't know. So yeah, uh, is it is it grandstanding to talk about like my responsibilities as a person? I think there's definitely an element of like inflated self-importance that comes with saying something like that. But you know, the, there's no there's no telling the impact that one person can have on other people and you can't behave as though you're invisible or i i believe that you shouldn't behave as though you're invisible i think in an episode that is future for you past for me i talk a little bit about how it's it's frustrating when you know a bunch of white guy a bunch of straight cis white guys get together and talk about women like uh women are blah 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 and you know you're standing there thinking like so this is how you talk about women when i'm not around that's kind of fucked up you know you, you don't want to behave as though you're invisible and everybody else around you is invisible and none of, you're not affecting other people. You, you are affecting other people. And I can't tell you how many people, just a handful of, of, of human beings who had almost no interaction with me personally, who I saw and they changed my life. I know one person in my family is, is actually listening to this podcast who literally changed my life, who like affected me 
permanently in terms of how I see the world. I, I don't know. I don't know how to how to describe it exactly. Just somebody who took care of me when I was young and really affected my sense of style and my sense of art and my aesthetic, <laughs> but also how I want to treat people and, and the kind of person that I want to be. You know, this person wasn't doing anything special. It was just behaving normally and wasn't trying to be important to me. And I, in the same way, how many, how many people saw a ContraPoints video about her body dysphoria and had the same sort of cascading realization that I did that like here's somebody describing my experience in the body video that I talked about earlier the conclusion that I come to is that the problem isn't accessibility of information it's visibility of information and and what I mean by that is you don't solve this sort of problem of feeling isolated feeling non-existent because nobody around you reflects your your reality you don't solve that by shutting up sitting down blending into the crowd you solve that by standing up and screaming and saying i'm here and this is my life experience and you know if if, if a single person hears that and, and feels validated because finally somebody is saying something that reflects something that they thought nobody else in the entire world felt, then that's that's all the justification that you need. And sometimes that definitely comes off as grandstanding. And, and, and I absolutely expect people to accuse me of, of being feeling self-important if I ever reach a point where enough people listen to this podcast or watch my show to, to have an opinion about me. But I, I, I only know myself and the only thing that I can think to do that's really productive with myself is to put myself out there. I know a lot of people would not want to give the world the level of accessibility that, that, that I have given to, to you. I've talked about a lot of very personal things on this show and on my YouTube channel and made myself incredibly vulnerable. And I do that because, not because I think it's like special or important in a like grand sense. I, I, I do it because, again, like... It's, it's something that I wish that I could have seen even just, you know, six months ago or when I was much younger. It's the sort of thing like I'm putting this out there, making myself vulnerable and, and I'm uncomfortable a lot of the time. But my hope is that people will access it and, and hear it before they need to. And it will make certain choices or certain realizations easier as time goes on. And so leading into that, you know, uh, in, in my <laughs> in my timeline, in my future, in this present, we've had uh, special elections a few weeks ago now, and a whole heap and helping of trans people won uh, various seats uh, all over the country. Uh, Danica Rome is the, the one that's hit all of the, the headlines. And that's why this level of visibility is, is so important, because that, that, that level of, of, of public success wouldn't be possible without the dialogue that's going on about trans people and the way that so many you know, casual, non-important people are, are humanizing us and humanizing themselves. There... The person that Danica Rome was running against, you know, was was very publicly transphobic against her and, you know, was trying to cash in on on the idea that nobody would vote for an openly transgender person because obviously, you know, transgender people are fucking perverts and whatever. But the reality is that a trans a trans person is first and foremost a person and their ability to be a good politician has nothing to do with them being trans. And Danica Rome seems to be like somebody who's actually genuinely devoted to being a good politician. And her being a transgender person has virtually no impact on that besides, I guess, like her increased empathy for, for gender nonconforming people. But th that to me is, is, is speaking to the way that there's, there's, there's a shift occurring in the sense that these sort of the identity politics you know a lot of people on the right accuse the us, us on the left of uh, tone policing and jumping out there with identity politics and saying you know oh you can't say this because it's racist or it's sexist or whatever as if you know pointing out differences in people is, is wrong to me the whole point of like political correctness and, and and identity politics is not to police the tone of other people or to 
to dictate like what you can and can't say. It's more to, to, to create a sense that whatever you feel is like the default expression of humanity is not the default expression of humanity. And that's a s- silly thing to say out loud. But that's what, you know, white privilege is, 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 is this feeling like I'm a default person to steal a Dan Harmon wording. And uh, don't, I don't even have to think about what it's like to be a different race, a different gender, whatever, whatever it might be. And just being aware of identity politics, of, of, of how these different identities intersect in our daily lives, even if it's frustrating and annoying and sometimes very pedantic and all of those things quite often are true, it creates this sense that it decentralizes personhood, first of all, and it also creates a sense that everybody's kind of on the same ground and my hope, at least, is that th- this increased insistence on foregrounding identity as opposed to pre- pre- pretending that identity isn't important is, 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 is allowing us to finally embrace the things that are strange or different about other people. And I know that this is a, a minor election and it's not that many people who will we're, we're elected and it, it's really hard to be optimistic in America in 2017. But I have some friends who are very cynical about the world we live in and I, I sometimes give into that. But I can't believe that there's no hope. And I can't believe that everything we've built up to this point is, is, is doomed to fall apart. And it's been falling apart for a long time and, and maybe it will. But I have to believe that things can get better and that our, our, our worst, our worst instincts won't win out over our best intentions. And I, I desperately hope that this, this time we live in right now is a bad dream and it's not, it's not a bad dream. That's, that's reductive. It's, it's easy for somebody in my position to pretend that this racism and, and sexism and homophobia and all all of it, all of it, all of this Trumpian white supremacist bullshit. It's easy for somebody in my position who is white and up until very, very recently presented as, as, as cisgender and who is, ma- you know, male. It's very easy for somebody in my position to pretend or, 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 or just feign ignorance vis-a-vis race you know, race relations, be like, oh, wow, racism is still a thing? I thought we solved that in the 70s. What about Martin Luther King? And, you know, to be like, oh, well, be- it's it's all because Trump is in power. So once we get him out of office, it'll all be fine. You know, racism will be over and we'll go back to to uh, our, our transcendental Obama days. But the reality is that, that, that racism never ended, it just changed shape, if it changed shape at all. And we in America have a very bad habit of desperately avoiding any confrontation with our past and in so doing we make it mythical and we romanticize it even if we think it's stupid and so many people in this country are poor that they need a villain and you know people who are in power love to create this myth of you know it's 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 the it's the weird ones you know because you're white and straight and male you're the one who is you know you have this god granted right to to supremacy the the only problem is that you know all these all the black people are taking the jobs and all the trans people are trying to get you to cease to exist or whatever and that's a powerful narrative but but it's a lie and so it's not a dream this 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 reality we're living it's not a dream it's not going to go away when trump is impeached if he gets impeached, which one can only hope, although one does not expect that a President Pence will be much better. But even still, there is more than nothing in the air that suggests that this is... The the, the powers that be that got our president elected are a bunch of fucking just irresponsible frightened children there is an expression going on there that that is like identity needs to be acknowledged and that's in the air and i think we're on our way to to finally dealing with the reality of of our history as a country i hope so at least but i see you know there there are a lot more 
people of color and, and trans people and women running for office all over the country. There's a, a wave of young filmmakers who are starting to really gain traction in Hollywood now that they're making so much money. I feel like the, the voices are starting to shift. I've been saying for a while, apropos of almost nothing, that the next big like creative jump in Hollywood will be when a more diverse group of, of writers and directors and producers finally start making the most important decisions. That's going to be when things really start to change there. And, you know, Hollywood movies, it's just art, whatever. It doesn't really matter. But visibility, man, when you see more different types of people, when you hear different kinds of stories, it broadens your perspective as a person and I, I, I choose to believe that that, that, that that allows for the possibility of creating more empathy. Ugh, this episode has already gone way too long. I didn't mean to sit here and fucking soapbox for 30 minutes, but here we are. I guess to tie everything off, if you are frustrated with, with the world we're living in, fucking call your representatives, call your senators, call your congressmen, call everybody, you know, go to town halls, get mad, get loud, get angry, get on Twitter, complain on Twitter to everybody, be vocal, be visible, do everything that you can, because nothing is, is going to be helped by being demurred to being being silent. It's easy to to say, you know, slacktivism is this whole thing that doesn't help anybody, but it's it's gotten me where I am by seeing so many people expressing this idea. It's helped me evolve as a person. You can't know the effect that a few words will have on anybody, especially on a platform like the internet that is is, is visible to everybody. So even if all you can manage to do is be angry on Twitter and, and you have social anxiety and you can't get out, you can't go to rallies and you don't want to get on the phone, I understand that. But even if you can just, you know, just, just, just be mad on Twitter, you know, it's easy to say that's not helpful, but everything contributes in some way. Everything, you, you just can't know the effect that something will have. And maybe the effect will be that one person sees it and that just contributes to the pool of, you know, anger that they already had. But maybe that'll be the thing that convinces them to call their, their representatives. So yeah, that's, that's my closing argument, I guess. Be loud, be angry and fucking kick them in the teeth until they stop calling us perverts. Thank you for listening to episode four of the Trans Questioning Podcast. I really hope that you liked it. This one's kind of all over the place because I recorded a bunch of it at different times, but um, I, I, I'm happy with the subject matter and there's <laughs> going to be a lot that ties back into this, so there you go. If you have any questions or stories or anything that you want to share or ask or whatever uh, that I might read on the show, I have a, a, an official email address, which is transquestioningpodcast at gmail.com. Just send me an email with whatever and it's all one word, no whatever. Uh, send it off and I'll screen it and maybe I'll read it on the show and react to it. That'll be a nice, fun little bit of, you know, audience participation. So woohoo. If you like what I do with this show, please, please, please consider donating a little bit of money at my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash L-T-A-S, L-T-A-S. That's, uh, it stands for Let's Talk About Stuff, which is my YouTube show, but it's all going to the same place. I'm using all of my effort to make both of these things. If you like what I do here, please consider throwing some money my way every little bit helps as always thank you for listening and i will see you again next week